0: So, coaching patterns. Uh, I thought it would be kind of interesting because, at least in my travels, working with working with teams and teams of teams and and organizations of all different types, I started to you know notice this thing that this phenomenon that happens. And then I, was, you know, maybe ten years or so ago, I, I learned about uh, this Tuckman model that teams go through these stages that teams go through. And I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it. Uh, and then one day it kind of just hit me. It's like, oh, yeah, this is what these teams are going through. This is what these organizations are going through. And, you know, it became really, it just became really, really apparent to me. And over time, I started noticing more and more and starting to bring tools um, to address each of the stages that seemed to work sometimes, sometimes they didn't work, um, some certain times I had to pull in uh, different tools, and it's one of those, as always, in coaching, you kind of have to, you know, work with the, with, the, with the people that are in front of you and see what, 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 uh, what, that, what resonates for them. So that's what the talk is about. Uh, we'll talk about this Tuckman model. Uh, we'll talk about uh, what, you, what I see as characteristics for each of the stages uh, in it. Uh, we'll talk about some tools that have worked for me. Um, and and have worked for others to be to be quite frank, um, and then maybe dive into one one of the tools for each of the stage stages um, that I think have have worked for me. And you know, as we go through it, if you all have questions, thoughts, ideas, whatever it is, feel free to shoot it out. Um, this can be as as interactive as as you all want it to be. So I'm I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I, I take the position that despite the fact that I'm in front of the camera or in front of the room, virtual room in this
1: case, uh, talking about a topic, I, I assume that everybody else has something to bring to the topic as well. So if you have it, bring it. All right, so uh, if you will, all right. Silly stuff about me. Yep, I
0: mean, Sheree kind of gave you the background. Yeah, I'm a coach. I've done some speaking, blah, blah, blah. Um, one of the things that has become really, really apparent to me is that I'm guessing you guys have figured this out too, is this is really hard stuff. Uh, working with teams and organizations. And for me, I think it's, it's worth just kind of taking a pause to acknowledge that, you know, to kind of normalize that, that this is really, really hard stuff. We're getting asked to do, um, you know, really, 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 really hard stuff. Like, asking teams to be high-performing and figuring out what what that even means. And then scaling teams, you know, I I can work in organizations sometimes that have 10 10 to 15 teams or more, and we're getting given the task of, well, how do we get these folks to uh, work with each other and be high-performing at the same time? And then there's these, weird ideas about being cross-functional and what does collaboration mean and how to play nice with each other. It's all the while of, okay, let's get better. Let's always get better. And Oh, by the way, you know, actually produce awesome products. So uh, again, I got introduced to this Tuckman model um, some time ago and you know, you, you can see it there. It's the idea that there are certain stages that all teams, all organizations, all systems, um, if you will, will go through. Uh, so you can see how it's, you start off with forming and then you go to storming, norming and performing. And that's what I wanna talk about is, is those four stages. So I know, I know that there are more stages. Um, if you go out on the, on the web, and there's probably a lot more stages, but these are the ones that I wanted to really focus in on because these are the ones that I see most common uh, and this is where I do probably most of my work, at least as as a coach. Um, but I got a question for you all. Uh, I actually got hip to this, what I think is a kind of an interesting uh, idea, which is a playlist. So uh, the question for you all is, and maybe take a moment to think about it. Think about the teams or organizations that you're in right now, and if you had to name a song that would describe the current situation, uh, the current dynamics, if you will, of of that organization, what would it be? Maybe take a moment, and then
1: if you have a song and you want to share it with us, maybe we'll write it down and we'll see if we, we have a playlist.
2: I have a song, but I don't know the
3: name of it.
1: (laughs) Well, if you want to be so bold, it's old
3: song from the 70s. It's it's a song. It says, um, I'm making it. I've got the chance. I'm taking it. I don't remember the name of the song. But anyway, that's my song.
0: That doesn't. So do we have any like human Shazams
1: out in the audience (laughs) who can name that song? (laughs) You know, for now... I'm going to say it's called I'm making it. Anybody else have any songs that, uh, that jump out to them that describe their current team or organization? By the way, don't forget, you might be on mute.
2: Making it is the name of the song I just looked
0: it up. Oh, that's awesome.
2: <laughs> um, I, I put a funny song. This is Padma. I put just up. Pressuring me It makes me want to scream awesome. <laughs> That is Scream by Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson Yes Yes, <laughs> yes. That's the one <laughs> Awesome Fantastic. I put down Double Vision By a foreigner I love that we all have Old songs, right? <laughs> yes <laughs> And I have just put down we are the champions. You're a champion if you can do agile. (laughs) That's queen for those of you who don't know.
3: (laughs) Um, I've got one. Um, The artist is Roosevelt. So that's
1: R-O-O-S-E-V-E-L-T. And the song is Fever.
2: Hey, is that the one Beyonce sings in that movie?
1: I don't know. Maybe <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'll have to look that one up.
1: Yeah. I'll check it out. Thank you. This is good stuff. You all, anybody else have any more? Awesome. If any more comes to you, we can always add to our playlist.
0: So thank you all for that. You know, and it's, uh, Who knows? Maybe that's a tool you can start using with with your teams um, to kind of help describe what's going on. You know, and and again, I think I'm a real big fan of this idea of normalizing what's going on to know that, hey, I'm going through this. You're going through this, too. It kind of gives you a little sigh of
1: relief. It's like we're all in this. We're all in this together. I'm experiencing this, too. So I think that becomes really, really uh, important. All right. So. You know, as I said, the Tuckman model, as
0: as as we see here, uh, my thought is that I see, and this is from Tuckman. You know, is that every team goes through each of these stages, um, and so they may experience some of those, like some of the songs that you all offered. It may, they may apply to different um, stages as as the team is forming, storming, norming, and performing. So, you know, it may be interesting to see that you may have different playlists for different stages uh, of the team's development. The other thing that I think is true is that every team goes through these stages. You don't get to skip them. The idea is how long do you hover or stay in in any one particular stage, particularly the forming and storming. You know, ideally, we want to get to to norming and absolutely we want to get to performing. So the question becomes how long do we how long we hover around, particularly the the forming in a storm. And again, every team goes through this. So again, I think it's another one of those things of being able to say, you know what? We're not different. We're not different from anybody else because we're forming or because we're storming. Every single team goes through that same thing. The most famous of teams goes through that. You know, look at the course of uh, the, the great Avengers. They've gone through all of those different stages in, in, in certain times and have gone back and forth because that's what happens with teams. People come into teams and um, you start to form again and it's OK. Uh, so be able to recognize that. Take the time that when new people come into a particular team, that it's time to pull them in. It's time to say, hey, you're part of the team. The team has, is going to change
1: to some extent. And the idea is to get back to the, get to the next stage as, as quickly as possible. So again, format as far as, as, as we go through is I want to talk about
0: some of the characteristics of each of the stages and then talk about some of the, some of the tools that I've used and maybe even go down deeper into, into one or, or so tools. So for me, characteristics of forming is I feel like there's just a whole lot of questioning going on that I observe. It's kind of like, who am I? Who am I to this team? Who are we as as a team? You know, what what exactly is our purpose? What are we how do we fit in with the organization or what we're supposed to do? How will we work together every single day? And are there rules? You know, how should I interact with this person? How do I talk to this person? You know, when do we even meet? Or should we meet? How often should we meet? So I find that there's just tons and tons of questions. And again, it's OK. It's OK to ask, ask those questions. In fact, I think that's a really healthy sign of teams when they're asking questions. And the, the good thing is, OK,
1: can we be there to help each other answer those questions and do that together? So on that on that note, I think good tools for
0: forming are a lot of those things as defining a purpose. You know, just just being able to take a beat and be able to say, okay, for our particular team or our organization, what's our purpose in life? What's kind of our North Star? What's gonna drive us? What's or if you're a specific team amongst many teams? Where do I fit in? What what's my niche in this in this particular organization? What's my focus? I'm also a big fan of defining team agreements um, or organizational agreements. You know, these are the rules of the road. Rules of the road. How are we going to again interact with each other? And then there are team logistics. Again, I think it's it's one of those like base level foundational things. If I don't know where to go, if I don't know, you know, what tools. Um, I, I'm going to need in order to be as productive as possible, all the rest of the stuff kind of just falls away and becomes even more complex. So it could be just as simple as if we meet every single day, you know, if you're, let's say a scrum team, uh, you know, wh- where, do, where should I go? Where do, where do we meet? How often do we meet? What time is it going to be? Is that time something that's actually conducive to me as an individual or have somebody scheduled the meeting at a time that I can never get there because I'm dropping my kids off? Uh, or is it too late in the day because I got to go? So all of those logistics
1: things, I think, is another one of those. Just take the time to meet together and figure out what is it going to be. So I think another one of the, I, I know for me, I spend a heck of a lot of
0: time with roles and role confusion and who should do what and who's, you know, impacting others and who, has inter uh, intersecting roles. Uh, I spend a ton of time coaching, coaching just that. And so I think it's one of those defining, are there roles within a particular team or are we all interchangeable in terms of what we can do? Or is there someone who does a specific thing? Is there a person who does a specific, who's specifically a scrum master or a leader in this particular, in this particular area? I think again, taking a pause just for a moment and being able to define those things, write them down, if you will, or at least instinctively have those kind of conversations. Heck of a lot of heck of a lot of good. And don't be surprised if you have to revisit those things. Sometimes people get really um, there's fatigue in certain roles. Uh there's there are times when you think that you step into a role for a period of time and after a while you think, you know what, just just doesn't Fit for me anymore, uh, or it just never really did. I thought it was something I wanted to do, uh, but it turns out it it's
1: it's not and I'd like to have a discussion around who else can can step into that role and allow me to step back and then for me, an- another one is defining an improvement framework, so again,
0: being able to say okay after after we've been working or forming uh, How are we going to get back together and figure out whatever we plan to do of how we interact and how we form? How are we going to figure out if if it's working? Uh, So, again, back to what we were just talking about with roles, sometimes it's it's not a good fit. Sometimes there are people on the team which is just not a good fit. We thought thought so. So how do we have those kind of conversations on a frequent basis?
1: How do we get together and say, is this working, is this not working? Very retrospective style, if you will. And for me, for, as we go from stage to stage, uh, there are certain ground conditions
0: that we can kind of start looking out for to figure out, okay, are we moving from one stage to the other? Are we moving from forming to storming in this particular case? And, you know, for me, forming, one of the things that I start to look for are do, do those roles emerge and can can the team actually start working? You know, beyond beyond just you know, let's take a look at the work. Let's take a look at what our purpose is. Can we actually start diving into the work? And I, I tend to recommend at least getting some notion of those of those tools in, in defining purpose and agreements and
1: logics and roles before we go really, really heavy into the work. So just pausing for a moment. Uh, any questions, thoughts there? Uh, Brian, Brian, you mentioned for improvement framework, uh, retrospective is one platform where
3: we work. Anything else you think of the team can build
1: in terms of retrospect what tools? Not, for not, not
0: improvement framework. Oh, so for me, the big one is, is, a, is a retrospective. Uh, that, that's, it's, for me, that's kind of tried and true. Um, I, I want it to be as abstract as possible in the slides and the discussion. But for me, retrospectives are the thing to do. The other thing is, you know, if, if you're using Scrum or something like Scrum, don't ignore that third question in the daily Scrum. You know, what, what impediments are in our way? Recognize that, kind of call it out. And then I'm a big fan of, you know, spinning off a, a another meeting after the daily scrum to kind of really, really focus in on that. For me, I think it, part of that is it starts the muscle movement of knowing for the team, hey, I can actually say this thing is not working. And so we can then start, the hope is that we can have those discussions at any time, not just these formal sessions, of, uh, you know, at every day at the daily scrum or, you know, at the conclusion of the, of the sprint, it's also, hey, I got an issue, it's the middle of the day, let's get together and talk about it, because I think if we solve this, then, you know, we, are, we can accelerate our pace. So for me, those two
1: are, are, are really big, the retro and the, and the daily scrum talking about the impediments. Sure, thank you. Yep. Awesome. So I threw out a couple uh, a couple of tools. I
0: want to really focus in on one um, that I'm at least a really big fan of, and that's team agreements. Uh, people will call them different things. You, you might hear them as uh, ground rules or team agreements or different things. In this case, I'm going to call it a team agreement. And for me, this, these, are, these are a couple of questions that I, I like to pose, which is just really broadly to the team. How do you guys want to be in a relationship with each other? Or just very flatly, how do you want to be in relationship? For me, it's a broad question, and it gets people to thinking. Sometimes it's like, well, I don't even know what that means. What does that mean to be in relationship? And I I think that's good to get get the juices kind of flowing. Sometimes I will throw in, you know, think about it on a social, uh, social basis or on a technical basis. How do you want to be in relationship when you're doing code reviews with each other? How do you want to be in relationship with each other? when um you're you're doing planning
1: or backlog refinement. It.
0: it can be as broad or as narrow as you want it to be. And that's kind of the purpose of the question is is to get, get folks to kind of think, think, well, how do I want to be in a relationship? I will often throw that question out, get give folks a, a chance to to think, and I'll start writing down. You'll often hear different uh you'll you'll hear different answers, if you will. And uh and then it's uh, the second question, the follow on question is, OK, we've got this wonderful, this beautiful array of, of answers and uh, descriptors on how we want to be in relationship. Well, how do we, then it then becomes how will we hold each other accountable? Because this is we don't want to just plaster this stuff up on a wall and kind of leave it. It's something that we want to take seriously every single
1: day and, and really internalize when we're interacting with each other. So I'm, I'm really curious from you guys, based upon that, how would you answer those two questions? Let's first start with how do you want to be in relationship? Think about the teams that you're on right now. How would you answer that question?
2: Um, I have uh, a team that I'm working with right now. and our organization has some leadership principles and one of them is disagree and commit. Um, and I think that that value um, explicitly stated gives us the freedom to speak our minds. Um, and so when I'm in relationship with my team, I expect them to be the experts and speak their minds and challenge the things that I say um, Because, you know, they're the experts and and I'm here simply to grease the wheels. So if I was going to be in relationship with my team explicitly, I would want disagree and commit. Um, Because not only are you challenging, but you're also saying it doesn't matter. Whatever we all decide as a collective unit is how I'm going to move forward and I'm going to commit to that. So that that would be my that would be on my team values.
1: Powerful stuff. Thank you.
2: Anyone else? Um,
1: so, um, oh, go ahead. Sorry.
3: Okay. Um. I. I think we. We do hold a lot of meetings. And I think it's also important to have some kind of, you know, having productive meetings as part of our agreements. And that may well be, you know, you know, you know, rules like, you know, no
2: mobile phones, no laptops. I think that's quite important as well because it can be quite distracting.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, in uh,
2: my teams, I'm a master of three teams and uh, for one of the teams, uh, we, I recently uh, went through a working agreements um, session with them uh, because previous working agreements were more than six months old. And one of the things that the team came up with is be a good teammate, which means be willing to help, be willing to hear when somebody comes to you with an issue and um, also be, raise your hand and ask for help.
1: Awesome. What about the second question? How will we hold each other accountable? What's something that that pops up for you all um, with, with answering that? For me, I'd say uh, you can only hold somebody accountable if you are trustworthy of each other, and if you guys are able to be have that mutual respect in holding each other accountable. So, because you can't say, "I will trust you to be here this time and do this for the team," and then at that time, you yourself you're not there, or I'll expect you to answer this for for the rest of the team, and that time you are not available to be able to do that. So the trust that I trust you, that you will do what you say you do, it makes it easier to hold you accountable. Absolutely. Also,
3: one of the factors is courage. Mm. When, right, when Mm -hmm. I see something going on with somebody else, hey, every time you are showing up late to the meeting.
1: Absolutely. I think you guys are getting the hang of it. So for me, when I'm when I'm facilitating um, a session like this, I
0: would just plainly write down, you know, one, two, three words that kind of captures the essence of of what's being what's being thrown out. And effectively, I, I I would put this on a flip chart or something virtual, and bring. I tend to bring this with me every single time that w- we get together. Um, and and this also. At times, it becomes part of our retrospective when we ask each other, "Hey, are, is there anything we need to add to our agreements? Take away? Edit? Um, and how are we
1: how are we living up to our agreements?" So, those are all things that uh, that that I tend to to do with with something like this. All right, so storming, dun dun dun. Again, every team goes through it just a matter of how long it's going,
0: how long they stay in it. Uh, so again, good characteristics for me is um, what, what I would describe as edgy behavior, as coaches throw around these, uh, these, these fancy terms, but it's, it's behavior that you'll start to notice. Sometimes I'll see confusion or you know, people are just, it's hard to make, uh, make up their minds, make a decision on something. Um, and you know the obvious one is that things seem a little bit contentious or a lot contentious Um, that our arguments seem um, seem to be more rooted in personality rather than the issue Uh, and so those are the kind of things to start to look out for Uh, conflict may be uh, rising as opposed to leveling off or decreasing Uh, folks may still seem to uh, uh, clarity may still seem to be really elusive to folks. you know we started talking about forming and there's a whole lot of questioning. Uh, so a lot of times in storming, I'll see that same level of questions or confusion continue on or maybe even increase when there's when they're storming. Uh, and so those are the things i t- I tend to start looking at and starting to pose to the group. Uh, you know just very simply, you, you feel like we're kind of storming, and what are you what are you seeing? Um, as, as, as far as uh, how are you connecting uh, to that? And so for me, I think it becomes really important to talk about some of these tools. Uh, there's, there's an idea that, uh, that I started using recently called the dumpster drop of challenges. And it's almost literally, you can, you can literally grab a trash can or a garbage can and say, hey, what do we need to drop in here? What do we need to let go of? What are some of the challenges that we're facing that, you know, we just need to kind of leave those behind uh, and maybe write them up or literally write them down on a piece of paper and throw them in the trash. It can be kind of this really, uh, uh, really good reaction that people have. And it's kind of a letting go. It's unburdening.
1: And um, you can do an exercise like that.
0: Uh, I recently got hip to this idea of just like me. I learned about it from a Harvard Business Review article. Uh, it was focusing on Google's efforts to figure out you know, what makes a good team. Um, and they, they concluded that this idea of psychological safety was incredibly important. Um, the work was done by this gentleman, Paul
1: Santagata.
0: I'm probably butchering his name, and I apologize for that. But in the article, um, actually, let me let me try to do this. Uh, that's the article. If anybody's wanting to um, wanting to grab it from Harvard Business Review, it's worth the it's worth the nine bucks or or whatever it is to uh, to download it. But it's called it's it's high performing teams need psychological safety. Here's how to create it. The author is Laura DeLisana, probably killing her name too. Uh, but the but the person. Paul is his name who, who did the work within, within Google. And one of the things that he said was important for psychological safety is having a human to human conversation um, and being in one of the things he talked about is this idea of just like me, you know, just like me, um, Cherie likes these things, you know, she goes, she goes to this particular grocery store. She has these particular hobbies. And one of the things that it does is, is it begins to humanize each other? We get to see each other as human beings, and not just you know that guy or that girl who comes to work every day and gives me a hard time. You know, we start to connect with people, and when you start connecting to people on a human level, you know, you start to um, well, it, it's just that you start to have the, those kind of connections, and then you see the issues that you're running to, running into, as just that those are issues and not the actual person. And so it then becomes a conversation around, well, how, now that I have this human connection with this person, how can we come together and
1: actually solve that particular issue that we or the team is having? And honestly, it dovetails
0: nicely into the into the next tool, which is is finding alignment. It is this concept of, if I'm human, if I'm having this human connection with someone, um, then I can actually create this alliance with that person or with the team and be able to say, We as a team are experiencing X. That's, that issue is out there. We're not, as humans, the issue. It's this thing, this challenge we're having. And how do we connect with each other in a way that we can solve this particular obstacle and do it together? So it's kind of externalizing uh, the issue or the challenge um, rather than holding it, uh, attacking each other. And for me, I think another thing is, well, it, it brings back that conversation of, well, how do we want to be when we're in conflict? Because it happens. Uh, and, and having those conversations and talking with each other is that when we're in conflict, well, how do we still want to be with each other? And I'm a real big fan of that can actually become a third question to, ask to, that, to add to the team agreements that we, that we just left. So now you can have three questions. How do I want to be in relationship? how do we hold each other accountable? And then how do we want to be when in conflict?
1: So all of those things can become part of our agreements and something to take a look at over and over again. So for me, I started to tend to start looking for signs of uh, when, when we are trying to move
0: from storming um, into norming, whether or not a lot more voices are being heard, are we still hearing from the same person over and over again with the same thing? I start to look for some of those signs of psychological safety, like being able to have human connections with people, being able to um, address the topic rather than going at each other, and a lot of different, uh, a couple other characteristics. But those are the two big ones for me: is do we have a deeper
1: voice, uh, deeper voice of of people chiming in um, on issues? So. uh, one of, the, one of the tools that I really like
0: is this idea of toxins. Uh, I learned about it a long time ago when I was having a personal relationship that, uh, and uh, I, I learned about this idea from John Gottman. Uh, he's really heavy into marriages, um, those kinds of relationships or those kinds of systems. And he talks about this idea of there are four toxins that if they are present and present in a really big way, then uh, they can be just that very, very toxic to the relationship. And that the idea is to try to reduce them um, as, as much as possible. And uh, so and it was also I should totally give credit. This is something that I've learned in, in my coaching life, too. So it was one of those, wow, different parts of my life are, are converging where I learned about these different coaching tools. Uh, So, therefore, one is criticism or blame, um, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. And so the idea here is recognizing those different toxins and, again, being able to mitigate them. So criticism is, you know, uh, verbally attacking the the person um, as opposed to, you know, focusing in on what the issue is. Um, Contempt is, uh, you know, just some of us, you know, can maybe recognize as some of the verbal cues or nonverbal cues that you can have when being contemptuous of someone. Eye rolling is big. Sarcasm is another really, really big thing. But it's at the point where, you know, you can't see the person for who they are anymore. Uh, And then there's defensiveness. Defensiveness is, you know, I hear something and I immediately want to go, want to say, here's why this is happening. Um, you become a victim in, in, in defensiveness. You try to say, it's not my fault. Um, here's why this is happening, uh, rather than addressing the, the particular issue issue at hand. And then there's the stonewallers. You know, stonewallers are like, you know, I'm checking out. <laughs> you know, I'm completely withdrawing from this particular conflict because I can't deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. So you can also, almost sometimes see somebody literally turning their backs um, in the midst of a of a conversation, so luckily there are antidotes uh, for these particular toxins. Uh, you know, for um, for the criticism or blame, uh, you can start talking about how how you're seeing a particular situations. You can talk about your concerns about a particular issue um, on things. Uh, that at least for me, that that's one. So again, it's. It's kind of reversing um, the conversation using different language, um, using a soft startup when we're talking about um, contempt or blame or addressing contempt or blame. Uh, The contempt is big antidote is building a culture of appreciation. Here's what I appreciate about you. Finding at least that thread, even when it's really, really hot of what's good about this person, what's good about the work that they do. Uh, reminding yourself of, of the positive that that person brings the positive that you bring into the relationship, um, defensiveness is you know for the, the big antidote is taking an inward look, starting to figure out well what what am I bringing to the conflict in this particular situation, and how can I start to to switch that or shift shift that um, and then stonewalling is how. How can I soothe myself? How can I get to the point where um I can actually uh reengage and it sometimes is is psych- uh, psychological uh you may have to just take a beat but be willing to reengage and you know it becomes for everybody it's a it's a personal thing of what you're self soothing uh techniques that you need to do. So that's another one of those discovery kind of things. In fact, all of these become a self-discovery, is how do you show up? How are you presenting? Uh, do any of these things show up for you? Taking a hard look and then being able to figure out your specific
1: antidote when they do show up when you're in a relationship with someone. How's that, uh, how are you guys responding to that? Can this be used in an exercise with the teams? I didn't hear the last part of what you said. Can uh, this be used as an exercise with the teams?
0: Yeah, it it can be. Um, uh, a good way to do it that I found very useful is to literally, you know, put definitions around, uh, around each of these, uh, much like what we're what we're talking about here, and asking individuals and or individuals and or the team is what do they identify what toxin if any do they identify with again individually or are there toxins across the entire team and then start talking about some of these antidotes such that when they show up that we can start to mitigate them as quickly as possible
1: tricky admittedly um, but i found it incredibly helpful Um,
2: What
3: else? Um, I can share what, uh, one thing that has helped uh, the teams that I work with. Uh, we, did an, uh, we did an exercise uh, using trace, basically trying to capture what behaviors would really be bad as a team. And then, um, and then we talked about really uh, if, if anyone shows this behavior, like turning up late for a meeting and saying, okay, I could not see my calendar, I was very busy. How, how would would be like uh, this person to react and how would uh, we as a team react uh, so yeah, really talking about it um, and, uh, and this was really followed up after we had a team agreement where we talked about this values we we will have courage not only to speak up but also have courage to listen uh, to others feedback and um, and it really made sense to you know have this uh flow of discussion after getting this team agreement and then having this discussion of, okay, now we know what we don't expect and now we know what we can expect from our behavior, how this will react and it really makes things to, you know, look inwards as well as outwards towards other. and,
0: uh, yeah, it makes people start talking to each other, right, it's helpful. Yeah. So good on you guys for doing that. For ha- I mean, you mentioned that word a, a couple of times—courage. You know, good on you all for having the courage to have those kind of conversations and then codify them in your team agreements. That's that's awesome. Um, and, and I think it, it kind of springs from there. Somebody else mentioned earlier on when we we're talking about the team agreements of adding courage uh, to the team agreement. So it opens the possibilities to have these kind of conversations and figure out
1: well, where do we go from here? So good good on you guys for that. That's awesome. Let's talk about norming. Right? So hopefully, you know, we're we're kind of moving from
0: forming to storming and starting to get some goodness. All of it's good, right? Because it, it's a growth. But here's where, you know, the hope is that, you know, we can we can really start picking up the pace um in terms of goodness around around the team. One of the things that I see that happens when teams are norming is that that clarity comes in. Teams get a really good sense of no matter what the work is, we know how much of it we can do given whatever the time box is. You know, if it's a sprint cycle of two weeks or three weeks or whatever it is, the team says, you know what? I know this this is about how much we can do. All things being equal, this is what we can do them out of the work because we've gotten we've gotten this this camaraderie if you will we know how to work together bring the work on and we can we can knock it out I start to see less coaching this is this is absolutely the part where I start to get really happy because I'm like great I can go (laughs) you know that I'm no longer needed or not needed as much uh, or the Scrum Master, in, in certain cases, can start to pull back. You start to see a lot more of the reins of, of, of upper leadership starting to say, you know, I really can trust these folks. Starting to build that, build that and start, that starts to become um, more vocal um, with, with the teams or with the organizations. So that whole elusive uh, self-organization and autonomy, uh, we start to see even more of that show up uh, with, with Normie. Rules tend to be a lot more clear, you know they start that whole questioning that we talked about with with forming and even with storming tends to fade away a a lot more you know there's there's always things that that pop up where we need to get clarity on, and we've talked about different ways to address that with with just the team coming together and having those conversations, but they start to become a, a lot more clear and the big thing that I love to see is that. Someone can actually have the courage to say, you know what, I'm in the weeds. I need some help. And someone else says, I'm there for you. Let's work this out. I, I really love seeing that kind of dynamic um, because for me, the, the courage to be able to say I need help is a really big sign. Um, and, and it opens up for others. And it it now gives a, a cue to
1: everybody else is, hey, when I'm in the weeds, I know I can get help help from somebody else and it's, I, there's no shame around it.
0: And then another thing that I got really up for, one of the leaders in an organization that I work with, um, he, you know, when we were talking one day, he said, you know, Brandon, I, what's really important to me when we're going through this is that we build trust, particularly with our customers. And he went and, you know, I just kind of threw it away at, at initially because I'm like, yeah, 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 I trust. Everybody says that. But then he broke it down and he said, well, here's what I learned trust actually means. And it, it involves there's a, a certain level or a high level of empathy that goes on uh, within the, the system or the, the partnership. There is transparency. People are willing to say, here's what's going on. Here's why there's no hiding and there's certainly no lying um, with, within the relationship. And then there's a there's a certain level of confidence, you know, it's that here's the task. I can actually do it. I have the skills to do it. And I trust that that's happening. Or that that person is steadily trying to get even more competent around that skill set needed in order to accomplish the task. And then there's always the, the communication. We have the conversations back and forth. We can come talk to each other. We can come. We have the courage to talk with each other, to be transparent and to resolve issues. Uh, that, and again there's no hiding there's no lying, so for me those are the act trust word um, in those four ways
1: really shows up when I see teams starting to to norm so a couple of tools uh,
0: one is triggers um i know that's that that's really popular in the uh, out, out in the world now the way I learned it i i there was a class um, that one of the companies that I worked for, we actually brought in some training because we were having issues. And um, it was around triggers. And I think the idea was that we were triggering each other. And then there was the team who had a trigger from external, uh, from, from anywhere external. And we took some time to really investigate what were our individual triggers? What were the things that made our highly uh, skilled, highly intellectual brains shut down and act like you know cave, cave, cavemen uh, because that kind of stuff was happening. And that's what happens when you get triggered, is you lose all of the intellect that you've built up over the years and you start to do weird, irrational stuff. And so we learned about those things and we learned about specific individually what were our triggers and we learned about this idea that everybody gets triggered. The trick is to identify, recognize it, and then be able to say, "Okay, well, how do I, how do I shift myself out out of that trigger?" And you know, so the trick is being able to sh- to shorten the length of time that you stay in this triggered state, if you will. You know, and the sadness is that people can stay in those triggered states for well, their whole lives, sadly. Um, so. Here's the tool that 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 you have to that you can use in order to figure out what your triggers or what the team's triggers are, and how you can start to mitigate that. The other tool that I'm really fond of is being able to measure safety. Again, we we talked a little bit about safety and and engagement. How engaged um, are people when they come to work every day? How good do they feel about um, coming to work? How 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 much do they identify with? The work that they're doing, the purpose, the vision of the organization and or the team that they're, they're actually in, and I'm a big fan of trying to figure out, well where do we stand and trying to
1: increase that um, a lot. I know um, I don't know if they're still doing it, but I know uh, I think Netflix does this relentlessly.
0: I know Google does this relentlessly, and um, a lot of the I, I work in a lot of government of organizations they do this a lot as well with with their employees and then becomes okay now that we know what our scores are what are we going to do about it so for me that's the that's the most important important part is all right we're at a six out of out of ten as far as safety and engagement what do we want to do about it so again back to the Well, how do I know when we're shifting from norming to the next stage of performing? Well, we kind of hit on it a little bit. I start to see a lot of autonomy. I I see a lot more freedom to experiment. You know, there's more of an acceptance of we're going to try this. We may fail or it may not go as we want, but it's okay. We tried something and we're trying from a good intent of trying to improve or accelerate more than where we are right now. So it's like, yeah, go for it. That kind of language, that kind of activity is what I start to look for um, as far as going from norming to to performing. And then one quick question. Yeah. Regarding safety
3: and engagement, right? Yep. Can you share some more insight on how do you measure? I know maybe as a Scrum Master, right, we are there with the team. We can observe what's going on. But how do, maybe like you said, right, leadership,
0: how do they know? Dude, it's like you set me up for the next slide, so that's awesome. <laughs> uh, this is one tool that I've used. Uh, total credit goes to a fellow um, coach of me and Cherise, Michael Sahoda uh, It's this is this is a survey that you know he hipped me to. Uh, it it tries to measure engagement and it, uh, and safety. At least that's my translation of it, and that's how I've been using it. So you can kind of see the different categories you measure from 1 to 10. What I what I added to this is um, taking these scores across the organization, uh, you know, average them out individually. Actually, let me take a step back. Let me walk you through how I've used this. Uh, in the two organizations that I've used this really heavily, uh, I had to do it anonymously, which means that, I had to literally print the the these pieces of paper out, uh, which you see on the left-hand side. Ask folks to uh, write what their scores are, drop it into a box. I collected them, got the inf- got the scores, averaged them out um, across each of the each of the different categories. The follow-on from that was, you know, giving the giving the results out to everybody, and specifically meeting with the leadership team. Um, around the scores and asking them, okay, what do you want to do in order to, first, are you okay with these scores? <laughs> you know, because it's like, if I, if they're okay with a five out of 10, then yikes. Um, but, you know, it have to start there. Um, if, if they want to do something to actually improve it, then we, we engage in the conversation of just that. What do you want to do? I throw out some ideas, but again, this is, I want them to own this because this is their organization. And then open it up to all of the organization, and and in this particular, in one particular case, uh, it became, hey, we're at X score, we'd actually like to get it higher. We have some ideas. We'd like to hear yours first. So here's a here's a suggestion box. Throw them in, and they they took they're taking those suggestions, and they're they're having they have monthly Q and A sessions with the entire organization, and they're going to review those things. Uh, and then put them on effectively a backlog,
1: and and talk through it with the with the whole organization to, to see where they are on improving those scores, and then and then rescoring themselves. So long
0: story to say that you use that this engagement survey that you see on the screen there, and then figuring out a way of how do we actually want running a series of experiments to figure out how we actually want to improve those scores, and then rescoring.
1: Ever so often.
2: Where can we get this, please?
1: Uh, so, Tari, I'm guessing
0: that we'll put the slide somewhere. Um, we can. Even- my, my only request is that you guys continue to give attribution to Michael, because this is his thing. Sure. I don't care if you guys give attribution to me uh, with the other part of it. And if you come up with something better, then
1: share it with the rest of the community. This is amazing, I love it. Cool, 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 thanks.
0: Uh, oh, and you know, for whatever reason, if some weird technical stuff happens and we don't get the slides, then shoot me an email.
3: Yeah, and Brendan, while we're uh, while I'm doing the end piece, if you you can just flip these to a PDF and drop them in the chat box,
2: and then whoever was here will already have access to them.
1: Sweet, cool. So let's see. Round ourselves off um, with performing
0: characteristics of performing. Again, with all of these, your mileage may vary, but this is the kind of stuff that I tend to see when teams are performing. Uh, Again, I think I mentioned at the beginning that teams will go back and forth between all these stages, particularly if certain things happen. Uh, Most notably, new people arrive on the team or in the organization, new teams come into the organization or depart. All kinds of elements can happen to allow you to drop back into um, into a particular stage, Uh, so but for me, performing I notice performing is happening when when we go back we can when we go back a step we can go forward really really quickly. So that really really quickly is always context sensitive. Um, I get really excited when teams start to say, "All right, we learned these," you know, really basic kind of skills, now I'm going to start creating my own. They still are in alignment with whatever the principles of the team or the organization are, but it's new stuff. And I I get really jazzed because I'm like, yeah, real cool innovation is happening now. And a lot of that happens because people are starting to listen to each other. People are starting to say, oh, that's a cool idea. Oh, let me build upon that. And And new things start to happen. Uh, me and friends of mine we we call that idea Darwinism, where it's like you take an idea and it continues to kind of evolve because everybody is kind of kind of jumping in and you have this real improv sense of yes and, so you have this really beautiful thing that that emerges from from the masses and uh i I think it's you know there's more of a focus on making people happy or outcome uh, versus just pure productivity and output. We can do x amount of stuff. Um, it, it changes from that conversation to how many people have we made happy today? How many people, you know, use whatever we are building and say
1: that was a really cool thing? I want more. I start to try to listen to for the for those kind of conversations. So tools, um, there's two for me. Uh, one
0: is I, I'm a huge so I tend to be like a huge fanboy of a lot of the other coaches uh and uh, totally in the, in the camp of if you guys have never heard of him uh Henrik Nieberg if you haven't absolutely go google uh henrik stuff but henrik has a a video called product owner product owner in the nutshell um awesome awesome video 15 minutes but it captures a lot of stuff and in it at some point he talks about you know, outcome and measuring it and forecasting it and having an idea that, you know, you're building, building a particular product. And at some point, you know, you reach a, a certain point where it's diminishing returns and uh, returns it as far as the building and the happiness that you have with, with the customer. And you should continuously kind of measure that, that kind of thing. Uh, and his, his answer is just ask the question. You know, it, have we have we gotten to the point where it's like, you know what, we're going it's good enough. Uh, let's move on to something else. Um, and when when you get to that point, do exactly that. And then the other tool that I tend to like to do, which is you know very very reminiscent of what we just talked about with the engagement and safety survey, which which is a uh, a team radar. It's kind of old school. A uh, couple of questions. At, I tend to like to look at it at the team level and then aggregate it across multiple teams. Uh, but it's it's a, a couple of simple questions, and let me show you. This may look really really familiar uh, to folks, but the one the more recent one that I've been using is the one that you see here. I, I try to focus them on, on the categories. So in this case, commitments, which means, all right. Uh, the work that we're actually doing how well are we doing it are we meeting it so you know we plan 10 things to do are we you know getting somewhere between seven and seven and nine things done is so fantastic let's score ourselves high if you know we're if we're doing more like actually doing one thing or no things then maybe our score is low as far as commitments and how are we doing with engineering practices what's our mastery level that we think we are we're at with our engineering practices? You know, engagement with each other on a team, with other teams, with the organization as a whole, with our customers. Uh, and then alignment. You know, how aligned do you feel with the purpose of the team, of the organization? What do, how do we rank ourselves there? And then, you know, there's always processes within a team or organization. And how do we feel? Do, are the processes actually working for us? Uh, you know, there's that, that the whole adage from the manifesto, individuals' interactions over processes and tools. You know, in, in this case, are the processes and tools working for us, or are we working for the processes and tools? And so, you know, as, as a result, rank ourselves. Where do where we fall there? And then tools, uh, tools and resources. Do we have the stuff that we need in order to get our jobs done and do it successfully? That's kind of my simple way of, of looking at it. Um, And then uh, what what I've done is for each of the, I I tend to try to do this at the team level and get the teams to take a look at this. And I tend to say, listen, this is your survey for you. This is not for anybody else. Um, And then ask them out of these six categories, which one do you want to improve on? And... um, let them vote. Let them vote amongst the six categories and then figure out with the highest vote getter, uh, what do you want to do in in order to improve it? So come up with at least one experiment in order to improve that particular category. Let them roll with it. And I'll often say, listen, if there's stuff that comes up in you all's conversation around this, that you think you need to pull in leadership, then you should do that. Um, Otherwise, this can be a, a, a very internal thing for, for the teams. And, and typically it goes both ways. It's like, yeah, Brandon, this is some stuff we totally can take care of. And this is some stuff we absolutely need our leadership to, to weigh in on. And so it, then it becomes inevitably a conversation of how do we,
1: how do we get them to, to be involved with that. But that's, that's, that's kind of it. It's, it's a team radar, a team assessment, if you will.
0: Thoughts?
3: Uh, I, I like the, your, the way you put it. Uh, is the process and tools working for us or are we working for the process and tools? Yeah. Yeah, I did encounter that uh, situation yesterday. A couple of Scrum masters were arguing about Scrum team board name. I did share uh, the Agile values, but I should have put this question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Try it out. See what
2: happens.
1: any other thoughts ideas questions that you guys have about this team radar
0: all right so we talked about these four stages forming storming norming performing and hopefully some tools that'll, that'll help you out um again for me the like if i had to boil this stuff down it'd be those those kind of things i think it's really important to to have every individual and every team figure out, well, how do we want to? How do we want to be? In, how do we want to show up in relationship? You know, how do we want to build a culture of safety? How do we want to continuously improve? Um, and then, how do we remove as many constraints as, as possible um, as as we go along to allow for that like creative spark that happens within within the team. And for me, that, those are the things that I tend to focus on, and I tend to try to help coach through, coach uh, individuals and teams through to just focusing on, on
1: those four things with whatever tools that are appropriate in order to get to those things. So that's kind of it for me, y'all.